But Father, I just thank you, Father, because you are there. In no situations when we serve you do we need to depend on our strength. Your strength is available to us, Lord. The strength to stand, the strength to speak, the strength to believe, and the strength to obey. In Christ, you ask us to do nothing in our strength. And your word actually says, your strength is perfected in our weakness. So I pray, Lord, all of us today would humble ourselves in your house and be weak so that we could be strong. Speak to us. Teach us. Teach us. We need to know this. Because battle is not going to get less. As the end comes, it will only get tougher. And only tough. The one, as your word says, who endures till the end will survive. Give us that strength, the capacity to fight daily and not to waver and not to pull back. Speak to us, strengthen us once again through your word. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Um, it's not part of the message, but uh, for those of you who know your Bible, especially the book of Revelation, in chapter 12, where you see that uh, the incredible scenes in chapter 12, which is, parts of it is, I, I personally believe is a more future event than a present event, where scripture says, there was a war in the heavens, and Satan fought, and Michael and the angels fought, and Satan was cast down onto the earth. I don't believe it has happened yet. I don't believe he's lost his place in the heavens. Okay? But what you will see there is in Revelation 12:11, scripture says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives even unto death. When that final battle takes place before the end, when Satan is literally cast from the second heaven to the earth, I believe Michael and his angels and the church in prayer will join together and Satan's throne will be cast down. So God is not going to give them the victory without involving us. He says, you are part of my army now. Earlier Michael fought for Daniel and all. But he says, in the new covenant, it's not going to happen. It's going to happen with my church. Okay, so they overcame him and he was cast down from his throne. And then the final battle on earth begins where he comes with all his fury. I personally believe that I could be wrong, but I believe that that's the way I want to read it, that Satan still has his throne in the second heavens and he will be cast down one. So keep that in mind. We are fighting most of the stuff we face in the physical and we react negatively to it. We don't understand is because like we saw in the last few weeks, there are these three kingdoms, the visible physical kingdom, which we would like to call it the first heaven. And the second and the third, which is the invisible spiritual kingdoms, one of God and the other of Satan. And one is called the kingdom of light. The other is called the kingdom of darkness. And these two kingdoms impact everything that is happening. The only difference being the enemy works under the cover of darkness. He's deceitful. He's a liar. He deceives. And he understands how God's kingdom works, that God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness. So what he actually does is he tempts us 
or deceives us. We'll see that a little later. They are not the same. He will tempt us to come out of righteousness or deceive us to break God's righteousness knowing that is how God's kingdom works and then he's got us in his hands. Either he harasses us or he knows God's hand will come upon his people because God's kingdom is built on righteousness. That's why Jesus said, you, us who are on earth in this physical kingdom, please understand how this works. Don't get worried about all the problems in your life. Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. Because there's another kingdom operating against you and me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, you can fill in the blanks according to what it is. All these things shall be added unto you. So keep that in mind because that is that is the battle we are fighting. These two kingdoms influence everything. And remember how Satan operated and how, why he fell, why Lucifer fell and became Satan because uh, it was it was pride. But also not just pride. He lusted for what only belonged to God. And thereby he brought corruption into the second heavens. And by getting Adam and Eve fall, he brought corruption and decay into the physical realm too. Which through the effect of sin. So Romans 8, actually verse 20 to 22 says this. For creation was subjected to futilely, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of, whole of creation is under bondage of corruption. That's why God says, why are you so much in love with the world? If only our eyes were to be opened. We sometimes get these WhatsApp forwards, you know, you buy this Tropicana, nice, and then you pour it out and you drink, and then somebody cuts it and looks at it, it's full of worms. Now, if you had cut it open because you sense something is funny, it doesn't sound like liquid alone sloshing inside, something else, you cut it open, you know, you'll never drink Tropicana again. God says, if our eyes were be open to the reality, spiritual reality of this world, and you see the worms and the demons everywhere, all over the stuff we desire, because it is in bondage to corruption. God says, the world is passing away. It is passing away. So God will have a new creation. We know that in the book of Revelation. Remember, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new city. He will have a new creation because his whole creation will pass away. But right now, remember the wedding message for Shrikar? Before God prepares a place and everything, what does he prepare? He prepares a person. The place is not what is important. We are always worrying about the place, God says, you know. Can I prepare the person for the place? If an unprepared person goes into a prepared place, what will he do? He will make it as a mess like he is. Let me tell you this honestly for people who are waiting for a financial breakthrough or whatever breakthrough. If you do not prove yourself as a steward, how can you become an owner? You want ownership, but you don't want the discipline of stewardship. If you cannot handle money now, how can he give you money later? 
Lot of people don't realize the earth and the fullness belongs to God. The cattle on the thousand hills belong to God. The gold and the silver belongs to him. But he cannot give unless we prove our stewardship. We are asking for ownership. That's in God's hands. What is in your and my hand? Stewardship. How we handle the little we have now. God says if you are faithful in little things, you can be. So remember, God is preparing the place, a person for that place. That is what salvation is all about. So in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, is the new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When God proclaims something, he proclaims standing here in my life, 1984, He's standing here and proclaiming, all things have passed away and all things have. I am standing here. God is standing here. Okay? At the end of my life. And he proclaims to me over there, all things have passed away. That doesn't mean I experience that all things have passed away. But I have to start believing all things have passed away. That I'm not going back. I'm going forward. Not going back. I am going forward. So all of us need to realize that God is preparing a new set of people for a new place. And saints know this. In the Bible, in church history, we read saints knew this. That's why they were always groaning in their bodies. Groaning in their bodies. To be, Lord, literally they were asking, Lord, when will we die? We are all asking, how long will I live? They were asking, Lord, when will I die? Because they realized, this body, there is no redemption. This body is not my friend, it is my enemy, this flesh. And this flesh is connected to the desires of the world. They are like made for each other, which pulls me down. So there is this groaning in the lives of the saints, saying, Lord, Lord, when, 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 Lord, when, Lord. Because they realize this world and this body both are corrupted and is perishing. It's the very enemy of the new life. Remember Wednesday? Let's let us recap on Wednesday what God says in Second Peter. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue. Remember simple principles, whether you want to succeed in the world, you want to succeed in the kingdom of God, everybody needs two things. One, you need power. Two, you need knowledge. In the kingdom, power is the power of the Holy Spirit. Knowledge is the knowledge of God. In the world, power is money and knowledge is education your skills. You need, you have these two, you succeed in the world. In the kingdom, same thing. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the knowledge of him. How does God operate? How does his kingdom operate? By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. We have all the promises in the Bible. It is not enough to know the promises of the Bible. Remember, these are the promises of a person. There are a lot of people who keep on speaking out promises of the Bible without knowing the person of the Bible. So the Holy Spirit through Peter is saying, first we need to have the knowledge of him. Because these promises are his promises. In the world you don't have to know that. As long as your money, it doesn't matter whose money it is. 
You don't, you receive an education from school, you don't put all the pictures of your teachers there. No. It doesn't matter who taught you, as long as you learned. It doesn't work in the kingdom like that. Please remember, it does not work like that. You need to know whose power it is. It is His divine power. And it is the knowledge of Him. Then these promises starts becoming effective in our lives. When we know it is His power and His knowledge, and then we use His promises. But don't forget what these promises are for. Because the promises of God's kingdom can sound sometimes very, very familiar like it in the world. That is why all these, many of these modern day gurus, if you listen to their teaching, they all pick their principles from the Bible. How to succeed in the world. They picked it because the Bible is a very successful book. It's a book of success. But you can take the principles from the kingdom of God and apply it to go into the world, which will ultimately destroy you. So don't forget, what is the purpose of the divine knowledge and the divine power? What is that? That you may be partakers of the divine nature. You can... Let me ask you children, how many have partaken of the nature of your teacher? No. We don't want to be like many of our teachers. No, no. But this is a different thing. It's his power and his knowledge, his promises. We actually partake of the nature of God. For what? To escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Remember, that's how Satan operates. And that's how he makes people operate. To escape. To escape. Not to partake of the world, but to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Because the whole world is animated by lust. And God's kingdom is animated by love. At the feeling level, they may feel sometimes the same. But they are diametrically opposed. Love protects, lust destroys. And when they are happening, lust can be more powerful than love. In the flesh. Can be very, very powerful. Giants in God's kingdom have been slain by lust. Unbelievable giants who really loved God. Really loved God. They were slain. So please don't underestimate the power of this. Okay? The world operates, we know, by sight. God's kingdom operates only by faith. I believe I obey. So one is animated by lust, the other is animated by love. Get fundamentals clear. One operates by sight, your senses, the other operates by faith, even though you don't understand. Because you understand or you believe the person who said it, you still keep it because you don't understand. Even when you don't understand, that's called faith. So scripture says in Galatians 5 and verse 6, the only thing that matters is faith. That's how the kingdom of God operates. Working through love because that is how the kingdom of God is animated. These two things. That's how it goes. That's the only thing that works. Because if you want to defeat the powers of darkness, because the kingdom of the devil and the kingdom of the world works through lust, through sight. Lust through sight. And the kingdom of God works through faith in love. 
They are diametrically opposed. They may look the same outwardly, but they are not. And we remember last Sunday we looked also on the structure. Enemy has a structure which he just copied from, from, from God. And we have the same structure in all our systems. So we saw in Ephesians where Bible talks about we are fighting, wrestling against what is the first thing mentioned? Principalities. What is the principality? That is under a prince. That is under a prince is called a principality where Lucifer crowns himself as king. That's how John Milton will write it in Paradise Lost. How Satan enthroned himself as king. Okay, And he has princes. He has divided the whole world into principalities and subsections, rulers and powers. And finally, what is it? Host of wickedness, which is the demonic world. Like I said, the demonic world. So you have principalities. Now let me, let me just make it again clear because last Sunday I heard after church during your fellowship you were discussing about, whenever you mention these things, people grab that. Oh, everybody wants to know about the demonic. Like, there are many assumptions. I have made it very clear. It's not a doctrine. It's an assumption. That demo- demons are basically that before Adam, there was another race. We don't know how, what all was there. We don't know. God hasn't told us everything. God says in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. And chapter, verse 2 says, what does verse 2 say? Earth was without form and void. What do we know between verse 1 and 2? We don't know anything. Has God told us everything? No, he hasn't told us everything. But you need to realize what theologians say is this entire construction in Hebrew is a term of judgment. That wherever these words, actually the Hebrew words are tohu and bohu, wherever these words are used, is only used in terms of judgment in the Bible. When we read it in English, we don't understand. But Hebrew scholar says chapter 1, verse 2, is only in terms of judgment. And remember when earth was created, Job will give us, this inside the book of Job will talk about in Hebrew, Job 38. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God is asking Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. He says, you are, you are questioning, questioning, questioning me, okay? You seem to be an incredibly wise man, Job, so let me. Surely you know. Or who stressed the line upon it? Okay. Yeah. What And what were its foundations fastened? Who laid its cornerstone? And when the morning star sang together and all the sons of God shouted for? Okay, now let me ask you this thing. Now you listen to Genesis 1 verse 2 and read this. When something is made without form and void and empty, what are they shouting for? What are the sons of God, the angels shouting when earth was originally created? Ask this question, what are they shouting for? Do you go out to the darkness where you cannot see anything and you shout for joy? No, you don't. Okay? That's where it is talking about. And then in Isaiah, I'm just giving you two verses again. Isaiah 45 and verse 18. Thus says Jehovah that created the earth, the God that formed the earth and made it thus that established it and created it not as, not a waste. That's exactly the same word that is used there. In Genesis 1-2. Tohu. He did not create it void. 
करके ही डिड नॉट मेक इट वॉइड ही डिड नॉट मेक इट विदाउट फॉर्म सो समथिंग हैपेंड ओवर देयर एंड व्हेन दैट वी बिलीव वाज अ रेस दैट वाज एंटायरली डिस्ट्रॉयड बाय गॉड एंड सैटन वाज इन चार्ज एज लूसिफर सो व्हेन ही रेबल ही टुक दैट होल रेस गॉड डिस्ट्रॉयड देम दे बिकेम डिसएम्बॉडीड स्पिरिट्स दैट्स व्हाट और जेनेसिस 6 आर व्हाट वी कॉल डीमंस एंड देयर billions of them much more than the human population because one man could have a legion in them so please remember we are fighting unseen powers to fight dirty who will tempt us and cause us to sin to partake of the corruption of the world well god says i have given you divine power and through the knowledge of him and exceedingly great promises you partake of what his divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust so god's holy spirit leads us through those divine promises in john 10 10 we see the difference the thief does not come except to steal to kill to destroy but i have come to give you that is that life the divine nature that lets you overcome lets you overcome fights so remember the key is faith it is through the obedience of faith that works out in love that we partake from the beginning till the end the divine nature of god and we overcome and we have to overcome israel could not believe in the desert israel could believe to get out but would not believe and obey to get in and possess to get out they did not have to fight god did to get to saved none of us fought god saved us none of us fought you can't say i fought and i got saved no we believed and got saved salvation like i always have said is the work of god but sanctification is the work we do in god's strength and when it comes to sanctification there's only one thing that matters the obedience that comes by faith that is how we possess the life of christ before israel we know from joshua lay huge fortified city beginning with jericho and powerful nations powerful nations but before they even started their battle god told joshua one thing in joshua 15 he told them yeah joshua 15 he says no one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life we love that promise no one will be able to stand before me all the days of my life but we forget what the rest is said he said for that to happen meditate upon my word day and night do not turn to the left or to the right do not let it depart from your mouth from your life you hear you understand you believe and it comes from your mouth out of the heart proceeds all things that pertain to life and we hear it through our lips so he said stay in my word powers of darkness we are not talking about people for them it was people the enemies for us it's powers of darkness god says no no one will be able to stand and to us in the new covenant in luke 10 and verse 19 he says the same thing behold i gave you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you 
you will not, he says. So what he told Joshua there, which is conditional in case of they kept his word, is true for us in the spiritual realm. And you have to believe, that's one thing I tell you, don't be afraid of the devil. Don't be afraid of principalities. I'm not saying you should have Dutch courage. I'm not even saying that. But don't be afraid. That's why God always tells Joshua also, fear not. Joshua, don't be, don't be afraid. Be bold and courageous. Okay? Don't be afraid because fear is a weapon the devil uses. So he says, to us, I give you power. Both were conditional. Both were conditional if, if you want to overcome. When they entered into the promised land, first they faced a huge, massive city called Jericho. It says it is a principality. It's a principality that is controlling access into the promised land. It's not a small power. It's a principality. But how did they overcome Jericho? In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30 says, by faith. It is by faith. What do you mean? They they stood there and confessed? No. When God says by faith, they had to hear something and they had to do something. By faith, when they obeyed and they encircled for seven days, okay, so there is this work of faith. This work of obedience they had to do for seven days. But why did they do it? Because they believed. It made no sense at all. But you know, they brought a principality down. They brought a principality down. Yet, in the next case, when they sinned, a little demon called I brought them down when they had brought the principality down by faith. So God was teaching them a lesson. Teaching them a very, and teaching us a lesson. Don't think because you pull down a principality, you are strong. You are strong only because you believe and obey me. Otherwise, tomorrow, a little demon will pull you down. You have no strength. You have no power to fight them unless you fight them in my ways. That's why he told his disciples also. They were so excited. He said, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. He said, don't get excited. See that your names are there in the book of life. Don't get excited by all this. Remember. How you need to walk if you need to consistently win. And how did he bring them down? How did the devil bring them down? He used one man in the camp. Let us use in terms of uh, us. Okay, let us, uh, let's look at as an individual. Israel as a body. Israel as a body, he used Akan. He tempted Akan through lust to take a gold bar and a cloth. How do you, how does the devil, when you have a mighty victory, what does he use? He tempts you through your eyes or ears and he uses one part of your body to sin and you come down. He tempted them to lust and when he partook of, you may hear something, but when you hear and when you repeat it, you fall. You can either choose not to hear or once you've heard it, shut your ears and say, Lord, I don't even want to remember that, cleanse it. But when you choose to speak, you became a partaker of what the devil wanted to do and you're down. He tempted them. They lost a small little demon. Temptation is what he used. Second time over, he changed his tactic completely. 
He didn't use temptation. He used deception. He used deception. But if you look at it, at the bottom of it, whether it is temptation or deception, what is empowering it is what you call as pride. That's why pride is so subtle. Subtle. Very, very subtle. Very, very subtle. Look at Joshua chapter 7 verses 1 to 3. The children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took the accursed things so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now, list, list, that is what happened in the spiritual realm. What is happening here? Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to... What did Joshua do? See, the mistake went here. He said, go up, spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out. Aye. And what did they say? And they returned to Joshua and said to them, do not let all the people go up. But about two or three thousand is enough. Eh, don't, whole army doesn't have to go. You see, they won a great victory. And they are standing full of that victory. Where are they standing? In Jericho. They did not go to the place of the cross, which is called Gilgal. They didn't humble themselves. They're standing in their victory. And they come back and say, boy, this principality fell. That's just a demon. I can handle it. And God says, you can't handle anything. You can't handle anything. So you see, behind it was pride. Even the leader's head got swayed. They did not ask of the Lord. They did not ask of the Lord. Okay, be very careful. Today you may feel really, really good when you go back home. Ask of the Lord. Taught him we are nothing. Why was Jesus always victorious? What was the secret behind his victory? Let's look at Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 7. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Why? He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a That is the key. How is, though he was son, though he was God, he took the form of a, what is the difference between a son and a servant? The servant will always ask, what do you want me to do? Though he is a son, though he is equal to the father, he will always ask, father, what do you want me to do today? And because he was always accountable, Pride did not come in because he's not looking for a reputation. And he was always accountable to the father. The devil could never defeat him. Simple things over there. Jesus is everything. But he functioned as a servant. And because she functioned as a servant, pride never came in. And because pride never came in, Lucifer could never defeat him. The devil can trap and defeat only if there is pride in us. Where there is no pride. Oh, I am very hungry and I want milkshake today. Why do you think you deserve milkshake? Why do you think you deserve? We don't even realize many of the things we decide is because we think we deserve it. We are proud. That's why we are not grateful. God gave them only bread and water. You don't even deserve that. But I am giving you bread and water every day. We don't realize many of the things which we spiritually ask from God. It comes from within, empowered by pride. 
So God says, if you humble yourself, pride has no place. Then you will be able to very clearly say what you want, what is the will of God. You will be able to ask and you will receive. So he trapped them with temptation, lust, they came down. Second time over, he trapped them with deception. In Joshua chapter 9, we know it well, I'm just recapping, Gibeon writes. The men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. They did not ask. That's why I told you on Sunday, this Saturday you're going to have a new speaker. Yesterday. Don't get excited, I told you. I've never heard that person. I haven't even seen that person. But I said, you're going to listen to that person. Again, don't get excited. Whatever you hear, ask of the Lord. Don't get excited by prophecies. Ask of the Lord. Ask. It's not my place to say who's true and wrong, but it is my place to judge everything that is spoken into my life. I am in charge of my ears, not anybody else. Even it is the best thing possible. Yet I will turn around and ask the Lord, Lord, is that what you want? Is that what you want from me? If it's the most terrible thing, you still don't have to get depressed. You still go back to God and say, is that what you are telling me about me? And if so, why? Ask. They were deceived the second time over. Get deceived. And don't take a prophecy which is true and think casually it will come to place. No, behind every prophecy there is a string of obedience before it will come to pass. Prophecies don't just come to pass. It has to be obeyed. If you believed what was told about you, it will show in your work the next day. I believed. I believed what was spoken over me. Therefore, I am preparing for that prophecy to come back, to come to pass in my life. That when the hour and the time comes, it should not pass me over because I did not prepare myself. Understand how the kingdom of God works. So the kingdom of God, there is no room for pride. You see, pride set in, they did not ask of the Lord. They thought they were too smart. They did not ask of the Lord. And they fell. Because the kingdom of God is based on humility. We have seen every morning Jesus rising up, going, crying out to the Father, seeking the will of the Father. Doesn't matter how wonderfully fruitful the ministry looked last night. This morning he still seeks counsel and he goes in a different direction. Because he was humble. So. Never presume anything for tomorrow because the, if you are victorious today, the devil is not going to stand still tomorrow. He will counter attack over every victory and his ways are devious. That's where Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. And Romans 6.13, balance it. Why does why do you ask me? Because Romans 6.13 says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Why? He says, because in the earlier past you offered the instruments of your body, the parts of your body as instruments of unrighteousness for sin. Now, Offer your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And I told you last time, if you have offered your instruments of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, and if you have been repented, confessed, and forsaken, and being delivered, 
those demons will be hanging on to those instruments. And they say, that's our house. That's our place. It can be your eyes, your ears, your tongue, anything. So God says, repent, confess, forsake, let the blood of Jesus cleanse you. Let me ask you this question. I mean, for children, it's easy to understand. Imagine you were cutting chicken at house, okay, or in your hostel, wherever, wherever you want to call your home. You're cutting chicken. Okay, you cut chicken. You have only one knife. You cut chicken. And then somebody came and brought you a nice, freshly baked cake. Would you cut the cake with the same knife? What would you do with that same knife? You would wash it, right? So God says, do you remember what you use the instruments of body for? And then you think, you, you can come with the same eyes and cut through my word? With the same ears, cut through my voice? He says, it doesn't happen like that. Even the high priest and the priest needed their ears cleansed with the blood. And their eyes, they needed ointment, divine ointment. He says, you understand in the practical realm, why do you take the spiritual realm for granted? He says, it doesn't work like that. Therefore, he says, repent, confess, Forsake and the blood of Jesus. Not repent and confess alone. Forsake. Otherwise you will be only going in that same circle. Repent, confess, repent, confess. And he says no, forsake and break out of that cycle. Be zealous. Do you remember Jesus in John chapter 2 verse 13? Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to the temple of Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, poured out the changers' money, overturned the tables. He said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten up. You see, he was zealous for the house of his God, which was outside. And now he says, you are my house. And God is saying, are you zealous? Are you zealous about your body? Are you zealous about your soul? Are you zealous about your spirit? And they got offended. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? He said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. What was he saying? He said, after three days, three millennium, I will have a body, a set of people who were so zealous, they have absolutely sanctified their body, their soul, and their spirit. I will have a set of people. I will have a set of people. And the entire ministry of God's word post-salvation is to being part of that body. This is his house. We are his house. According to the proclamation of Revelation chapter 5, and they sang a new saying, you are worthy to take the scrolls to open its seals for you were slain have redeemed us by your blood out of every tribe, tongue and people and nation have made us kings and priests to our God. He redeemed us by his blood. He cleansed us by his blood and he continues to cleanse us by his blood. It is through his blood we are purchased. And Revelation 12, 11 says, it is through his blood that we overcome. We overcame him by the blood. One of the most underutilized weapons, probably the most, one of the, I would put the word and the blood at the equal level when it's fighting the devil. And the problem is, we underutilize this. Why don't you 
get up every day morning, put your hands on your own head and say, Lord, cleanse my mind by your blood, my ears, my eyes. Keep pleading the blood of Jesus over everything you have. The blood, the blood, the blood. Because the enemy is petrified by the blood of Jesus. Do it and see as you repent, confess, forsake and apply the blood as your thinking will start clearing. Your desires will start sanctifying. Your hearing will become clearer. You will be able to see the things of God much more clearer because he has given us a weapon. The word, prayer, and the blood of Jesus. Plead the blood, cleanse over yourself and plead the blood against the enemy. It's an offensive deterrent too. And we are what? The previous verse said, what did he make us? He made us priests. If you are priests, then we should be zealous of the temple. Because where did the priests work? They worked in the temple. Be very zealous for his temple. And this has the zeal for the righteousness of God. Jesus was so zealous for the righteousness of God. That is what him caused him to clean the temple out. While what were they doing, the priests there, they were making profit. What is that attitude? You come to church thinking, what is it there for me today? A lot of people approach the kingdom of God like that. What is it there for me today? They're not zealous for the house of God. They're zealous for themselves to see what they can get from God for themselves today. And those people never go further. The money changers and the priests and the Levites were all within the temple itself. What made them different was the attitude in their heart. What were they looking for? Profit. What did Jesus come there? To serve. He didn't come there for profit. He came to serve. And he was very zealous because he said, Hey guys, you guys are supposed to be servants. You are all in the temple. You are supposed to be servants. And what are you doing? You are making profit. You are not serving. And God says, change our attitude. Be zealous. Like Phineas. So that the plague can stop. Be zealous like Abraham, Isaac. Zeal has its different aspects how we go through lives. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Look over how they are described in Hebrews 11. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents. With Isaac, Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Why? Because he was waiting for a city which has no foundations. Just think. I said that on Wednesday. Think about these three people. These three people were one of the richest people. Of their generation. They were billionaires. Yet they lived in tents. And moved when God told them to move. Why? They were zealous for him. They did not allow their wealth to have them. Like I said, they were incredibly good. Most Christians, I'm telling you. If our heart doesn't change, we will go through this hand-to-mouth existence without ever experiencing what financial breakthrough is. Because we do not prove our stewardship of our resources. The world, they will prosper. But like Asaf said, I know what their end is too. But in the kingdom of God, be very, very careful how you handle it. And Abraham, Isaac and Jacob proved it. Unbelievably wealthy, but detached from their wealth. Be zealous like Josiah. Today's homework, go and read Second Kings chapter 22 and 23. And better do it, I may ask you on Wednesday. Okay, children, read chapter 22 and 23 of 2 Kings. See his zeal. And you know how his zeal all began? 
This is how it began. We have heard it. Reminder, Second Kings chapter 8. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. The high priest found the word of God, which was lost in the house of God. And he gave it to this guy. And he read it. What did he do? Next verses which I gave you. Safan the scribe showed the book to whom? The king. Hilkiah the priest had given me a book and Shafan read it before the king. Now it happened. The king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. That's a picture of your old self. When he heard the word of the Lord and realized who I am, he said, I don't want to live like that anymore. This is not what I am meant to be. This is not what God wants us to be. Does the word of the Lord have that effect in us? He was zealous for the Lord after he heard the word of the God. And you know something that God talks about Josiah. He never spoke about anybody like that in Second Kings chapter 23 verse 25. And before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul and with all his might. According to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. What a testimony of a young boy, young man who just heard the word being preached to him, not preached, read to him. And he brought something into it. It was too late, but he did what he could do in his lifetime. And God had a testimony. He says his zeal was according to the knowledge of God. There are a lot of people who are zealous, but not according to knowledge. There are a lot of people who have knowledge and they're not zealous. Josiah was one perfect man God found in his generation and subsequent generation, generations before. Meaning he's giving a certificate. He was actually better than David. Or anybody. Anybody. Because he had zeal. Understand that. That's that's the key. Because when you hear the word of God, when you are broken, that means you are humble. You are not proud. You know why we don't break? Because there is this pride like an armor protecting us from the word of God from going deep within. And these guys were not. They were zealous for God according to knowledge. That's why in the psalmist David will say in Psalm 3, he leads me, yeah, 23 verse 3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake, zealous for God according to knowledge. Meditate upon these words. Why are we zealous for righteousness? Not for our name, for His name will come into that. Deuteronomy 9 verses 3 to 5. Listen to what God says. Therefore understand today, the Lord your God is who is going over before you as a consuming fire. When you are fighting powers of darkness and we use the weapons of a warfare, don't ever think we are the ones who are fighting and winning the battle. It is our God who is going as a consuming fire. He will destroy them, bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. But remember, do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me to possess this land. Don't you ever think that you possess this land, you won victory over this principality, or this power, or this ruler, or even over this demon, because you were righteous. He says, no. But it is because of the wickedness of the nations that God is driving them out before you. Very sobering thought. You know what it actually means and actually happened in Israel? He says, you know what? These nations were so wicked, given over to the devil. 
So God used you to drive them out. You don't stand in your in God's righteousness. He will use somebody else to drive you out of this land. It is for my righteousness sake. That's what happened to Israel. When they went in the ways of the other nations, God drove them out. Don't you ever think, he says, you win over powers of darkness because of your righteousness. He says, no. He's using you to destroy them because of their wickedness and not mine or your righteousness. We don't have a righteousness of our own. We have a righteousness that is of Christ and Christ alone. That should keep us humble. So these are all the promises. We hold on. Remember these divine promises. We partake. Look at some of the promises when it comes to spiritual battle. Exodus. So you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. And the Lord your God will expel them before you, drive them out of your sight so you shall possess the land as the Lord God has promised you. Everything is for a purpose. Okay, um, uh, Joshua 23.5. And the, yeah, that's one, okay, has promised you. So please remember, we fight these battles because we have promises. And these promises is so that we can partake of his nature and not use those promises to live our nature. The more battles you and I win in our personal lives, I'll tell you a note of warning. Ask God to help you and become even more humble today than you were yesterday. Or the spirit of pride, which is the Leviathan, will trap you and me. You heard about Leviathan last Sunday. Leviathan is a principality. And I don't, I'm not even mentioning the name of the book. Okay, This is not the book of God. This is the book of the devil. Devil also has books in these world, literally books which are written about him and his ministry. In that particular book, I'm not mentioning because I know my young men very well, immediately they will go start googling that. They won't read the Bible, they will google that. Okay? In that book, Leviathan is one of the four princes under, directly under Satan. His name is Leviathan. Okay? Pride. But remember today, Leviathan the the, pride, the the spirit of pride will trap us. Understand this. You and I cannot fight pride directly and conquer it. You can conquer pride only by becoming humble. If you try to fight pride, then you are fighting pride with pride. You will never win. You have already been caught in a trap where you have already lost before you began. You can only conquer it by becoming humble. In James chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He says, what do you need to do? You need to submit Remain humble, submit to God and just take your stand against the devil. He will flee because pride cannot fight humility. The devil cannot fight, couldn't fight Jesus because he was the most humble person who ever walked on earth. He couldn't fight Moses. He couldn't fight Moses. All Moses went around was with one stick. And all we see him lifting the stick, bringing the stick, we didn't realize in the spiritual realm he was spanking Satan. Because he was humble. He was humble. He was absolutely humble. 
In 1 Peter chapter 5, listen to what scripture says. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you should be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil. You see, in both places, the devil is brought in. And he says, this is the only way you can fight. And go back to verse 5. What does scripture say there? Humility is our best defense. Devil has no answer to that. But it's very difficult for us with our old nature to be humble. Because the old nature is framed in pride. Especially everywhere, even in India. You could be, let us use an example, you could be of the lowest caste. I don't believe in caste, but the lowest caste, okay? But when a proposal comes for his daughter, he will ask, which subcaste are you? You would think after 5,000 years of oppression, this fellow is humble. No, he's not. And if that fellow happens to be two inches below him, he will say, oh, ne, match nahi hoga. We are from Upper. <laughs> you know how we think only the rich pride is there in the human race. And the only, only weapon God says you need to fight this Leviathan is humility. See, God, when we believe in Christ and his atoning work, he will clothe us with righteousness. But he says, you have to clothe yourself with humility. What does it say? It's like, okay, it's like the inner vest. God puts this inner vest in your covered with righteousness. He says, put the humility over it because that very righteousness can make you proud. Because you realize, you know what? I'm clean. I'm clean. I'm clean. I went to US only last week. But I'm in US. Now I eat with only a fork and spoon. Are hats a cow? You went on somebody's scholarship. Okay? Meaning your righteousness was not yours. It was imputed. (laughs) Imputed. Even if it is the righteousness of God, if we do not clothe ourselves with humility, we will start thinking we are better than somebody else. Without forgetting, we were all forgiven sinners. God says, clothe yourself with humility so that Leviathan, Now we are going to get the tough part of the message. Brace yourself. Because Leviathan will get us. And his ways are very, very devious. Because he is the principality of pride. These are symbols God uses about Leviathan. If you read, you have words in the Bible called Leviathan, dragon, unicorn, behemoth. So when you hear all these words, why is God using all these names? What are these things? Personal belief, not doctrine. These creatures were there in the first creation, including dinosaurs. And they were all destroyed. And so he uses a mixture about Leviathan, like a serpent, like a crocodile, like a hippopotamus. 
so that we understand their magnitude in the spiritual realm. Because nobody will play with a crocodile. So he says, don't fool around with the Leviathan. Nobody will play with a snake. Nobody will try to match their strength with the hippopotamus. That fellow can crush an animal with his jaws. Have you seen their strength? Okay, so God uses these terms like Leviathan, dragon, behemoth in the Bible to tell us to know the reality of their power and their strength. But he says, behold, I have given you power over all their power. But how do you exercise that power? In humility. Because it's not our power, it is designated power. Okay, so Job has all these questions. God is asking questions. Then God suddenly brings this out and he asks this question in Job chapter 41. Can you draw out the Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Apply it. Can you can you master pride and make pride serve you? No, you serve pride. Pride doesn't serve you. Just don't try to fight pride. You will never master pride. Instead, try to be humble. Nobody has mastered pride. Nobody has made pride serve them. Pride actually serves the old man and brings destruction upon many. All these great kings we name, Alexander the Great, Caesar the Great, Akbar the Great, should be written Alexander the Proud, Caesar the Proud. Because they were all fighting for their name and reputation to show how great they were. It was pride that empowered them. They could never master their pride. At least Alexander, when he was dying, mastered it at least. Meaning he became humble. He did not master pride, he became humble. He said, put my hands out. Let the people see that I came with nothing and going with nothing. Understand this, how the Leviathan works. In verse 9, scripture says, Indeed, any hope of overcoming is false. It's false. You cannot overcome pride. On the other hand, you can overcome pride by being humble. You can overcome. Humility is the best defense and the devil has no answer to it. Like I said, God can... Clothe us with righteousness, but he says, clothe yourself with humility. That is how Jesus said. Jesus said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. He said, learn of me. Learn of me. So Leviathan, the Bible gives us different pictures. And one of the pictures of the Leviathan is that of a crocodile. If you actually look at the Leviathan pictures, it's of a crocodile. Let me ask you about the crocodile. Have you seen the teeth of the crocodile? See, we close our teeth like this. The crocodile closes his teeth like this. It doesn't close his teeth like this. It closes it like this. It's a trap. Once you are in, you are in. We'll come to that. That's how the enemy traps people. You see, people everywhere in the world, whether in the kingdom, outside the kingdom, have so many issues in life, unhealed issues, emotional wounds, shame, anger, insecurities, secret sins, all this. You know, God can deliver us of all this like this. 
all this are, let me use terms like healable or deliverable. You can be healed or delivered about all these issues. Especially in the, no, it's not especially in the kingdom of God. But why don't people get delivered? How does the enemy trap people in all these issues in the kingdom? He uses pride to trap them in that. It's pride that traps the people of the kingdom from the deliverance with the kingdom king operates. And let me show you from scripture. In 2nd Chronicles chapter 16, at that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria, have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Israel has, Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole world to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He is looking for somebody who is loyal, who will humble themselves and say, I cannot do without you. Okay? In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. What is the response? Asa was angry with the seer. He's angry. So what was inside came out. He's now angry with the seer. Look, put him in. That means he was not just angry, he was very angry. For he was enraged, see? Enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. And note the acts of Asa first and last are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became deceased in his feet. And his malady was severe, yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. What blocked him? Pride blocked him. Let us let us say in our terms, he's got a wasting disease. He's not able to walk at all. He's gone. And yet he knows the God of Israel heals. Yet pride has trapped him. And he's stuck. And he dies like that. He will die like that. Let's look at another case. Second Chronicles 26. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah, this is King Uzziah, the priest went in after him. With him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah, said to him, Is it not for you? It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. For the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, get out of the sanctuary for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious. Furious. Think about it. If your father, your mother, your pastor, somebody tells, you know what, sit down. Don't do it. What's your reaction inside? What's your reaction? Do you repent and say, why did dad say like that? Why did mom say like that? Why did pastor say like that? No, you're angry inside. You're just like Uzziah. Only thing in his case, judgment was very visible. In our case, it is invisible. What happened? Azariah and the chief and all the priests looked at him there on his forehead. Leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. Why did he have to die as a leper? Isn't the God of Israel the only God who heals lepers? But he won't go. He won't go. He's got a major issue, but trapped by Leviathan in the outer resting of pride. A lot of people don't get delivered of their situations. He said, we'll come to that because. But 
If we humble ourselves, God is different. When people, it didn't matter how terrible some of the people who humbled, they were worse, the worst creatures who walked on earth. Let's look at a couple of guys. Second Chronicles 32. In those days, Hezekiah was sick near death and he prayed to the Lord and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was lowing over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart and he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the wrath of God did not come. When Hezekiah humbled himself, God, okay, this is a good man. Let's look at another man, 33. Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations before the Lord had destroyed before the children. Meaning Manasseh made Israel worse than Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Hittites. All the nations got destroyed completely. He made Israel worse than them. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people but they would not listen. So Manasseh, okay. Therefore the Lord brought upon them captains of the army of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh with hooks. I don't even know what he did. They probably put a hook through his nose or ears or whatever and they dragged him. Bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. These are all given graphic details for us to show what happens to our soul when we go against God. We are bound with fetters of bronze and only he can break it. We may sitting here nicely smiling away, but God says, do you know your inside reality? You're hooked by the nose. You know, that's how the, we lead the cattle. You know, the, have you seen the cows or the bulls which are very interesting? You put through the nose. And that fellow won't move. Just you have to hold it. Doesn't matter how big his horn is. Horn is. You just have to hold that. And that's how people are, are taken captive. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers in Assyria. In that terrible state, he humbled himself before God. What does scripture say? Pray to him and he received his entreaty. He answered his prayer. Heard his supplication, brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord was God. So it didn't matter how terrible the person was. Whenever a person humbled, whether it was Ahab or Manasseh. God says, you know what? Pride is defeated. Satan is defeated in your life. I cannot defeat the devil in the lives of proud people. But I can defeat Satan in the lives of, doesn't matter how terrible your past was, if you humble yourself, humility works for you. Because I am humble, he says. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. He opposed Manasseh and then he helped Manasseh. And this is how it works. Once pride sets in, it's very difficult. Please understand children, walk before God. We think it is our sin that the devil uses. No. Sins can be forgiven. Diseases can be healed. Possession can be, you can be delivered of possessions. But how do you come out of pride that covers everything? The devil uses pride to trap us and keep us in our situation. Let's let's look at what scripture says. Job chapter 41 verses 14 to 17. Who can open the doors of his face with his terrible teeth all around? Who can? His rows so scales are his pride. Shut up tightly as a seal. Inside is the hurting person. Outside is a tight seal of pride. And God says, how are you going to come out? 
He's got you there. You're sitting right in church, listening to all the messages. You are there faithful every week. But outside is these tight scales of pride. And you are trapped over there. One is so near another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together, cannot be parted. Pride is the covering the devil gives you so that you never get delivered. It keeps us in bondage. And verse 34, Leviathan, he beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. how he holds you. Once pride has set in. And if God doesn't deliver you and you don't humble yourself, Manasseh would have died in Assyria. Pride can react in different ways. Remember Ahab seeing Ahaz? Let's look at Ahab's, Ahab's son. Second Kings chapter 1. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So what did he do? He sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire Baal Zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. They have son. God is judge his father, his mother, everything he knows. This fellow falls down. And whom does he send? To the false god. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbed, Arise, go up, meet the messengers of the king of Samaria. Say to him, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal-zebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Let's see what happened. Yes. The next verses I gave you. These guys came and told this to the king. So he said to them, What kind of man was... It who came to meet you and told you these words. And they said, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. He said, it's Elisha, Elijah the Tishbite. He said, he heard this word. He said, who told you this? Describe me the man. I said, okay, he's Elijah the Tishbite. What does he do next? So the king sent him a captain of 50 with 50 men. He said, get that fellow here. Do you see? Get that fellow there. Elijah says, if a man of God let fire come down, 50 die, the next 50 dies, then they ask for mercy. You know what happens to Ahaz? In spite of it all, he never repents. He dies just that way, Elijah said. Because pride has set in. When pride sets in, people will go everywhere for help, except humble themselves and go to God and cry out for mercy. They get mad at God. They get mad like Asa or Ahaz, are the servants of God. But the problem is neither God nor the servants. The problem is you are proud to humble yourself. So God, through all his arguments, Job is asking why, 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 why? He's using that to expose Job's pride in his own righteousness. He's exposed. That is the purpose of the questions God asks. Pride caused Job to feel self-righteous about himself and all his good works. So he's asking, have I done this? Have I made a covenant with my eyes not to do? I have fed the widows, I've taken care of. He's putting all his deeds before God. It made him feel that God owed him an explanation. Now don't think Job is many of us or most of us in our old days, when we were troubled, we were very self-righteous and asked God, why is this happening to me? What did I do? God says, do I owe you an explanation? 
That's what Job asked. That's what we asked. I didn't do anything in this. Why did these children ask? I didn't do anything. Why did my parents leave me? The man asked, I didn't do anything. Why did my wife leave me? The wife asked, I didn't do anything. God says, do I owe you an explanation? He says, your reaction is from pride. Do you know that? You are proud about your righteousness. I was right in my marriage. Therefore, this should not have happened to me. God says, you are not humble. You are just like the devil. You are proud. And I had to show that to Job. Yes, I said you are righteous. But I said you are righteous. Now you are claiming you are righteous. There's a difference between the two. Leviathan has got Uncle Job. And also remember, this was a battle the enemy picked on Job. He didn't do anything to provoke the enemy. But pride became the stumbling block to his deliverance. The devil can pick a fight with us. We didn't do anything, which is true. You may be absolutely been true in your marriage. You didn't do anything. The devil picked up a fight in your marriage. But now that the marriage is broken, or your home is broken, or your off, whatever in your life is broken, you become very self-righteous about it. And you ask, like Job, all these questions. Did I, didn't I cook for him every day? Didn't I wash all his clothes? Didn't I iron it and keep it ready for him? That's what he also said. Did I look at a woman? Did I feed the beggars? In our own context, when you read the word of God, apply it to see what God is trying to tell us. He says, I want to deliver you out of this pit. But he has trapped you over there. You're hurting inside. But not even air can go through the scales because pride has covered you. I want to breathe my Holy Spirit into you and get you out, but I cannot do it until you humble yourself and I can deliver you out of your situation. You will be free. We accuse gods because God did not act according to our satisfaction. That's why God loved David because when David went through hell, he always would go before God and fall flat. After seven days fasting, when his son dies, he still goes to the house of God and he still worship because he is a humble man. When he messed up, it was when he was proud. When Job understands and repents, then God begins the work of deliverance in his life. Job 42 verse 1 to 6 is his repentance. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen please and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the earring of my ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You ask yourself, if you were a person like Job, upright, blameless, who feared God and shunned evil, why in chapter 42 he looks at himself and abhors himself? Because he sees pride and self-righteousness. He sees pride and self-righteousness. He says, I abhor. I didn't realize this is who I was. And I thank you, Lord, for showing it to me. You want to fight Leviathan? You can only fight him and win over him in God's way. Because Leviathan will come after you and me. He may not kill us only because God restrains him. In Job chapter 2, verse 6, God says, chapter 2, verse 6, He said, don't. Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand. 
but spare his life. Don't kill him. But sometimes God uses the Leviathan to expose not our sins, but our pride and our self-righteousness which has trapped us in our misery. So the harder the battle, the lower one must go. Because this is the only position of victory, the position of the cross and the way of the cross. There's no other way. If you read it with this mindset, Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 8. Have this mind which is in you, which is also in Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider. So it begins from equality. He's equal to God. He's equal to God. He's in the form of God. But what did he do from there? But made himself of no Pride is always connected with a reputation. Pride and reputation go hand in hand together. And we don't realize many of the things which we do, even today Sunday mornings, spending time before the mirror and the picking of the clothes is all got to do with a a reputation. He made himself of no reputation. So we don't even know how Jesus was dressed. We don't, we know he only wore probably one white robe, that's all. We don't know how he looked because scripture says there was nothing in his appearance. He didn't put makeup. All got to do with the reputation. Being found in appearance as a, in the form of what? A bond servant. Now let me ask you, two thirds of the angels of God are his bond servants. This is God. Came down to the level of a angel. And in the likeness of, came down ever lower. Who is man that you have made him lower than the angels? God, angel, men. Not only that, in the appearance, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of, he came down even to the point where there was no self-life at all. Not only that, He chose the death of the cross. There were many deaths he could have chosen which were all the easy way out. But he chose the father's will. Pick the death which is the most painful, the most difficult and the most humiliating. Hanging there, naked before this entire world you created for hours together. Pick that, he said, thy will father, not mine. And he defeated the devil. You know what defeated the Leviathan on the cross? It was humility. Pride was defeated on the cross by humble obedience. That's why Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. You can fight and kill this snake. Because pride blocks our deliverance. Blocks our deliverance. Let me now, shall we become practical and real in life so we understand how these things happen? Let's look at one example. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to know the head of every man is Christ. We know about Christ and God. Now, head of every man is? So, let me talk to the men. If you know your head is Christ, how many men who are trapped will listen to the voice of God? Who will humble themselves like some of the kings and say, Lord, I need you. I need to break through. I will humble myself under whatever you have placed me. 
How many men will? I need your word. I need your spirit. I cannot without you. No. You don't see that zeal anywhere. Hardly do you see. Would you listen, a man, if you are in trouble and you are distressed? Would you listen to the voice of God that comes from anybody? Because you know you have to listen to the voice of God. In Genesis 21 verse 11 and 12, look to it. Look to a humble man. The matter was displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, don't let it displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your born woman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Did this man listen to the voice of God spoken through the mouth of his wife? He did. What if the deliverance that God is looking for you in your life actually comes through God, through the voice of your wife? Will you listen? Will you listen? Remember it was pride that blocked Naman from his healing. And it was humility that released it. Let's go back to Corinthians 11. I want you to know the head of woman is man. Who is the head of woman? Either your father, believing father or believing husband. The head of woman is So God appointed him as your head, right? Headship in the kingdom means he's your king, he's your priest, he's your prophet. Let me ask the women sitting here today. How many of you, when you have trouble in your life, ask your husband to pray over you or your father to pray over you? You call every helpline in the kingdom of God. Jesus called, Mary called, Jude calls, John calls, you call all this. But your deliverance is standing next to you, you don't call him. Because pride has blocked you from humbling yourself before the man God has placed over you. I believe most women's problem is because they will not humble themselves and tell their husband, will you pray over me? And God says, you're looking for deliverance everywhere. Deliverance is standing here because that is my ordained part. But for that, you need to humble yourself and say, will you pray over me? It doesn't matter what kind of person that person is because he may be the worthless person, but he still holds an office. And it's the office that works, not the person. But you know what? People don't. Pride blocks them. Pride blocks them. Children? Children? Coming to church and asking, putting a prayer request is one. But do you ask your father or mother to pray over you? Pray over you. I'm talking about believing. God has put a believer head somewhere in your life. Do you call and say, will you pray over me, dad? Or you have a believing father or a believing mother? Would you ask one of them, will you pray? We don't realize we have been trapped in pride. And we have all these issues and this self-pity and all these no, issues with which we struggle. At the top, we are covered by pride. You are miserable. You are miserable. Yet you won't go and ask for help which God has ordered. You won't ask your husband. You won't ask your father. You won't ask your mother. You will say, no, I'll call Jesus calls. And when if Jesus calls, whenever you call, you will get a busy tone because Jesus says, call your husband. (laughs) 
So many people don't realize your deliverance is at home. Right there, beside you. Home. Beside you. And you won't use that deliverance. You will try every other method and every other method you use outside God's ordained path is a symptom of pride, empowered by pride. And God is not going to answer that. God's not going to answer that. God says, how can I answer a prideful prayer request? I am humble. Learn of me. I'm meek and lowly. Because only God can crush Leviathan. If we humble, God fights. We humble, God fights. In Isaiah 49 verses 24 to 26. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty? Or the captives of the righteous be delivered? But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away. And the prey of the terrible will be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you. And I will save your children. I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh. They shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. All flesh shall know I, the Lord, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. These are spiritual truths. He says, only I can and I will. I will. In Psalm 74 verse 14, scripture says, You broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. He didn't do anything like that in the wilderness. This is a spiritual truth. It's a spiritual truth. He's talking about what happens in the spiritual realm when people humble themselves. He breaks the head of Leviathan. Only God can. Only God can. In Romans 16 and verse 20, the God of peace will Crush Satan under your feet. Meaning you have something to do. You have something to do. We know the weapons of our warfare, the armor of our warfare, helmet, everything. And what is on your feet? Peace. Peace. The God of peace. That's what God is asking about. Do you have peace? You want Satan's head, Leviathan's head to be crushed. Do you have peace? The question he is asking yesterday. Do we have peace with God? With man? That's why God says pursue peace. You need to understand something very clearly. Peace with God is a result of mercy. Remember the prodigal son? The prodigal son comes back. He comes to his father and says, Father, I sinned against heaven and against you. I'm sorry. Can you take me? As your servant. Supposing the father says, I cannot take you as your servant. But because he repented, he still receives mercy. And that's all he needs for peace with God. What the father did later is what is called grace. But you cannot receive grace unless you have received mercy. Grace is the power of God. The power of the Holy Spirit which crushes Leviathan. But without mercy, you can never receive grace. Peace with God is a result of mercy. And grace only comes after mercy. So when the people are cut to the heart on the day of repentance and they cry out, what should we do? In Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Peter said to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. What is that connected with? That's connected with mercy. What will you receive? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is that? Grace. He says, 
You need mercy. But the problem is, why do people don't repent? Think about the word you heard only in this last, let's say, four weeks. Last four weeks. If the word you heard in the last four weeks alone had to have the real effect the word of God does, do you think we'll be sitting like this? You know why the word of God is ineffective in our lives? Because we push it back with pride. It's not for me. I don't need to change. I don't need to change. Because if we were cut to the heart, our attitude towards God's kingdom, his righteousness, our prayer life, our word life will be so radical like Josiah. It will be so radical. Instead, what is the thing that we do most of the time? Sending forwards about somebody else's deliverance. And when we are not delivered. You know what the power of the word of God? They were cut to the heart and they cried out. He said, you will receive grace. But remember, mercy first. Without mercy, you cannot receive grace. And to receive mercy, there is this doorway called repentance. An incredible change of mind. This is not. That's what Josiah did. And he was king. Technically speaking in human terms, he needed nothing. He's king. He's got everything. He's sitting on the throne. He's ruling over everything. He's got all that he needs. And then this Shafan comes and reads the word and he listens to the word and says, oh my gosh, this is the law of the God. This is the law that made me king. And this is what's happening in the kingdom. Where are we? Where is the word of God? And he got up and he tore his robes. He said, oh my God. And he started crying out. And then he started weeping. And he started bringing deliverance into the kingdom. What he did in the kingdom is what we do with our lives. Break down every idol, everything. What others did not do, other kings, whatever they left, he finished it all off. Everything he destroyed in his life. He said, if this is what God is, this is what I need to do with my life. To heck with my computer, break it if that's what you use to watch porn. To heck with your telephone, throw it if that's what is killing your time. Just heck with my friends if they are the ones who are leading me into, into temptation and trouble. I don't want friends. If I want to live alone, I will live alone for the rest of my life for God and not for the world. If this word is true, that is exactly what will happen in your life. Your repentance will be radical and you will experience the grace of God and he will bring you out and set you free. But otherwise, it's this shell and scales of pride which is pushing back and inside we are crying, crying. God says not even an air can come through. It's blocked. It is pity, yes, but self-pity. Self-pity is a devious way of self-promotion. It's still promoting self and not God or his kingdom. Because people need to be delivered and God has only one way of deliverance. There is no other way. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he shall exalt you. You want to fight the devil? He says, submit to God and resist the devil. Otherwise you will not. He will take you. And he will rule over you. Because he knows my kingdom. It's a kingdom that is based on righteousness. They heard. They repented. They turned around. The next thing you hear that happens in the church, they came steadfastly. For the Lord's teaching. For fellowship. For breaking of bread. And for prayer. For prayer. And things started happening. What is the purpose of teaching? 
What is the purpose of fellowship? What is the purpose of the table's bread? What is the purpose behind all this? That we will have the unity of faith and unity of love. We become one body which actually will lead us to the prayer closet so that in unity when we pray, the kingdom of God is established, the kingdom of darkness is demolished. That's the result. If it does not result in a unified prayer, all the teaching and all the fellowship is of no effect because pride has blocked it. It has to lead to prayer. Then scripture says God did amazing things in their midst. Why did God do amazing things in their hands? Because they had become one. They had become one. When you don't receive this message, I'm telling you there will be other churches over the net who will receive this message. Because God's word will not go void. It will not go void. It has never gone void. God has people, even this morning, as, as tired as I was when I woke up, the first thing I saw is, I'll tell you the time. Yes, 3.50 a.m. Miss call from Sikkim. I was to wake up to pray. They wake up to pray. They wake up. Because they understand the kingdom of God. Unless we receive mercy, we cannot receive grace. Hebrews 4.16 is very clearly, come boldly, come to the throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy. And find grace too. A time, whatever is your need, whatever is the time, midnight hour, early morning hour, afternoon, it doesn't matter what time it is, what need it is, there is grace to help you, but you need to come through the doorway of mercy first. Where there is no mercy. And there is no mercy for people who don't repent. If I don't repent, I have no mercy. I can't go like Job and says, tell me what I have did against you. I was right in this, I was right in that, I was right in that. Go and say, Pharisee, get out of my presence. You can't go like that. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 12 verse 14, pursue. Pursue. What? Peace. And godliness with I need first peace with God. I need peace with man. That's why we have what we call ziplock. If you put ziplock over your lips, you will have much peace with man. Much peace. And a earlock also. Smell as much as you want. But a earlock and a ziplock. Pursue peace with all people. I need peace with God. I need peace with man. Why? Only the God of peace can crush Satan under my feet. Only God of peace can crush Satan under my feet. That's where his head should be. God wants to use your and my feet to crush the Leviathan in our life. But the problem is, don't get trapped in your own homes. In Isaiah 27 and verse 1, In that day the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan. The fleeing servant, Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. He says, he will. He said, he will. Do you remember what the last lesson Jesus taught his disciples? You know what? He put a, it was, it was not a symbol, it was a deeper spiritual thing. He took a towel, wrapped around his feet, he washed everybody's feet. When it came to Peter, Peter said, no Lord. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you will have no peace with me. You will have no part of me. 
So he said, then give me a bath. He said, no, you already had a bath. You don't need a bath. You need your feet to be cleaned. Let me ask you practical questions. What is Jesus saying? When you and I go into the world, there is the feet of our mind that picks up all the dirt, the gossip, the slander, the lust, the desires of the world, and we come back home. And God says, you need your feet to be cleansed. Now let me, I'm, you don't have to give me an answer because in most cases I already know the answer. When you come back from school, college, work, you know what usually people do when they come back? Put the light. Switch on the TV. And they get a coffee. I need a break. You're not cleaning your feet. You're accumulating more dirt on your feet. You know what you should do? Come back. Switch on the light. Put on gospel music. And sit down with your word. And say, Lord, I went into the word. I need to listen to the word. Listen to a message until my mind is clean. Then I have peace with you. And peace with man. And the ruler of this world is under my feet. Try it. Try it. That's not what we do. That's not what 90% of Christians do. Either they will do sit there, gup, 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 carnality, or they will be listening to some secular music, watching TV, on the internet, whatever. There's a time for all that. But that is not the time. When you come back from the world, cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself. I went into the world. I'm coming back into the world. If Jesus had to do it for Apostle Peter and all the others... I need to do it. Let me go straight, shut myself for five minutes. Let me clean myself up so that I have peace. Because the God of peace will crush Leviathan under my feet. Otherwise, we will be sitting there with all of our problems, but covered with a shell of pride. Pride. We get off, people get offended like these kings with God and sometimes with God's servants. Nobody understands me. Why should anybody understand you? Who do you think you are? Sounds like Job. Nobody wants to listen to my problems. Why do you think your problems are bigger than somebody else's? Why do you think that way? Do you know every everything that we say connected with our problems is all with a nice plastic coating of pride? We don't really. Just look how we explain ourselves. How we explain ourselves. And God says, you know what? I want to show you. Your problems, I can deliver you like that. Not a big thing. I can deliver it. All that was paid on the cross. Even death was taken on the cross. Even if you die tomorrow, you can be with me. That's not the issue. The issue is how do I deal with pride? How do I deal with pride? How do we deal with pride? And even the most righteous man commended by God, God led him through the ringer to expose the pride in him. Because he says, Job, that's one thing that keep you out still. Sometimes we don't understand how the Leviathan works. He's the fleeing serpent. He's the twisted serpent. He will take something that is genuine in your life and Twist it around and unconsciously or consciously you start questioning the goodness of God. 
twists it around. I don't know, I always went to church and I fasted, I tithed. I don't know why this came into my life. God says, twisted serpent. How we twist and we don't realize that Leviathan is working in our lives. God says, be careful. This one who can, the Lord God, it will be under our feet, but it is God who cuts him off. And he says, humble thyself. Humble. That's the great, great parable. For me, that's the greatest parable in the Bible. After you have done everything, say, unworthy servant I am. What do I deserve? He said, you should be like that. You should be like that. You are safe. You are absolutely on safe ground. After having done everything, what do you say? Do you understand why there is only a second man who is recorded in terms of victory in the Bible? Who is Apostle Paul? Who said, I am chief of sinners. Worst of sinners. Do you see? After having done everything, worked harder than all the apostles, reached practically the entire world, he says, who am I? And what is God said, you know what? The devil was under his feet. Leviathan couldn't touch him because he understand the way of the cross. For preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And I hope you are not perishing. That you are being saved and you love the cross and you cling to the cross and you pick up your cross each day. Shall we stand? He says in the book of Isaiah, whom does, with whom does God inhabit? When heavens cannot hold him. For he measures the heavens with the span of his hand. But he says, he dwells in the heavens. And with him who is of a broken and a contrite heart. Today is the twelfth. The next two weeks, maybe sixteen days. Keep going back to God and ask Him, Lord, show me in my life where pride has covered that I don't even realize that I'm reacting out of pride. That I'm upset because of what things are happening in my life because of pride. My reactions are all based because at the core it's about me, not about you. Help me to truly say from my heart, not my will, thy will be done. Help me to go back to the prayer you taught your church and meditate upon it. Until it touches the depths of our hearts. What it means to say, our Father, hallowed be thy name. What it's to mean to say, thy kingdom come. What it means to say, Thy will be done on earth. Hear our prayer. We are your children. We've gathered here today.
morning as we come to the Lord. Remember, God has only one answer. Crush the enemy under our feet. He says, to all of us, he says, humble thyself in the sight of God. Ask during these next two weeks, Lord, show me the areas where I need to humble ourselves. Scripture says, consider others better than yourselves. That's one way. Honestly think, I'm no better than anybody else. My children are no better than anybody else. My career is no better than anybody else. My office is not greater than anybody else. It's only one who is great. That's Christ. Dress well. But don't dress well to look better. Look good. Don't try to look better than somebody. Can do the right things for the wrong reasons. Sing well. Don't sing to sing better than somebody else. And we who preach, we preach. We preach well. We want to preach well. We want to preach better each time. But we don't want to preach better than somebody else. Remember this began in heaven with Lucifer. It has brought the same spirit into man. This morning we just come to you, Father. We have sinned. Our forefathers have sinned. This nation has sinned. As much hatred, venom and blood has flowed in this nation and in our lives. Because of pride and pride alone. We shed others' blood because of pride. You shed your blood because you were humble. We stand as a church in the gap and we seek forgiveness for our nation because your people in this nation and this nation is going through terrible dark days only God can intervene and if God doesn't intervene even darker days lies ahead and I pray Father we humble ourselves before thee and we confess sins of our forefathers our fathers and our own sins we not only confess we repent we not only repent we pray for strength that all of us would forsake everything that offends you that your spirit would be able to show us more and more things which you were not able to show us all these days that offends you give us the strength to forsake it. That we would hear clearly from you. That we would be able to truly pray. Prayer that changes the heavens. That brings change on earth. 
rise, O God. Let your enemies be scattered. Arise, Jehovah Shabbat. Lift your sword. Smite Leviathan over this nation. And feed his flesh to your enemies. In the wilderness. satisfied with where we are and what we do knowing there is more more left to know of you and therefore to serve you let us never be comfortable with our spiritual life with our prayer life with our knowledge of you Pray, Lord, you will work true repentance in us. That out of us, a Josiah will arise. A true Josiah will arise. That every time we hear your word, we tremble at your word. When we read your word, we tremble at your word. And you will do a deep work in us. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Keep us, Lord, close to you. As we go into another week, if you tarry to come this week, and give us another week, go before us, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. The author, the finisher of our faith, our redeemer, the lifter of our head. You had many names, O Lord. King of kings and Lord of lords. The everlasting father, prince of peace. The rose of Sharon. Lily of the field. The fairest of ten thousand. But father, you are telling me now and us now. In your word in the book of Revelation. When the marriage comes. It is called wedding feast of the Lamb. It is not called the wedding feast of the King of Kings. It is not called the wedding feast of the Prince of Peace. It is not called the wedding feast of the Lord of Lords but the wedding of the Lamb. And who can marry a Lamb? But one who has become a Lamb. Only a Lamb can marry a Lamb. Humble us, Lord. Humble us, Lord. Humble us, Father. Make us like you. Make us like the Lamb that was slain. That we can be partakers at the feast of the Lamb. There is no other way. There is no other position. Each day where we need to humble. Each day. Every area. Show us Lord. 
We just surrender ourselves as a church and as individuals before thee. For you said, humble thyself under the mighty hand of God. And in your due season, you will lift us up. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Now by faith, we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We proclaim your glory. We proclaim thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. It's all yours, O Lord. All yours. All we can be say, unworthy servants we are. It was our honor to serve you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Be with us, Lord. We need you. Even to serve you, we need you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.